Um, well, hey, my name is Travis, in case I haven't met you before. I'm one of the pastors here at Finding Life, and I just wanted to say, again, welcome. Um, we're excited that you're here, and I'm excited to get to share with you today. So um, this is week two of our series called Dealing with Doubt, and Courtney kicked it off last week, and, and I get to do this week. Um, and it's a, I think this is a cool series for us to do. It was one that I was excited about. Um, it was kind of Courtney's baby and her idea. And, you know, it's really been good for me because I think that doubt is something in the church that is just not talked about. And I always kind of felt like if I doubted, I was weird. And I'm one of the pastors, and so I'm not supposed to have any doubts. And so I think that's one of the things that we all kind of deal with. And so this is an exciting series. And I think that if we actually do business in our hearts with some of the things that we struggle with, we bring them out in the open, um, that God can use that and it can be it can be faith-shaping, it can be life-changing for us. So I'm excited that you're here as we continue to dive in. And, and, and things just can't be life-changing or, or faith-shaping if we are trying to do them on our own. So let's pray before we start. Um, Father God, thank you so much for being here in this place, and, and thank you for being with us all of the time. We don't have to be in a quote-unquote church building to feel your presence, for, for you to be with us. And, and God, we need you with us this week, um, as we walk through this uh, subject of doubt and, and doubts that we have in you, in your goodness, we have doubts about our faith and, and they're hard. Uh, they're things that we wrestle with constantly. And God, I just pray for all of us that you would help us to uh, feel comfortable in bringing those to the surface because you can handle our doubts. Like you're not scared of our doubts. You're not shaking at all about the doubts that we have in you. Um, you can handle it. You can help us through it. Um, God, I just pray that this morning uh, that you would give us open hearts and minds to hear from you, uh, to hear from, from you on ways that we might even be contributing to the doubts that we have. Um, and, you know, anytime we got to look inside of ourselves and, um, and, and be critical of ourselves, God, that's really hard for us to do. And so, God, we need you to help us today. Um, and I pray that you would do that for each and every one of us that are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, if you were with us last week, Courtney... Um, kicked us off, and I thought she did an awesome job. And one of the things that she said that stuck with me the most was that genuine faith can only be found through the mess of our doubts. And that's kind of weird because I always felt like doubts were a bad thing. Um, but they're not, as you see your worship flyer, the truth is at the top. Um, doubts are only our enemy if we choose to feed them. Um, doubts are not the problem. And, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to embrace the mess of our doubts. Um, we are going to raise those doubts to the surface. We are going to just spend some time reflecting on what doubts we have. And, and, and today, I, as I wrote this, it's funny, I wrote at the beginning of the sermon that I wasn't going to try to solve or fix any of your doubts today. And then I got to the end of the sermon that I wrote and realized that I tried fixing and solving <laughs> the doubts that you have. Um, but the most important thing that we're going to do today is just spend time um, with our doubts, thinking about them, reflecting on them, not necessarily fixing them, because I feel like that most of the doubts that we have are shoved really deep down below the surface, and they're not easy for us to bring up. Um, a little quick story about this. So as most of you know, I'm getting married really soon. Um, yes! She hasn't ran away yet. Actually, she came today, so um, she's sticking with me. We got, I think, 34 days. It's coming right up, but um, as part of that, we are, uh, we're doing our, our premarital counseling with Jake, and he gave us some homework, and the homework sheet basically says, write down a list of, like, scars that you have from past relationships, and, and I feel like I've done this four or five times already, because from the get-go, 
her and I started talking about these things. I mean, we're not 21. We're, I'm 36, almost 37. So, you know, there's a few more things that we got to sort through. Um, and, and so I feel like we've done this like several times we've had these conversations. But even with that, this time, new things keep coming to the surface that I just really didn't know existed. And part of that is because we do. We just shove them deep down. We forget about them. We don't talk about them. And so they end up not existing. And, and so we have to spend time like time, actual time, reflecting on what are the doubts that we have. Um, and so that's my hope and prayer for today, is that we would actually get to a place where we would rise some of these things to the surface um, and, and actually be able to do business with them in our hearts. Um, so here's two questions that we're going to do business with this morning. One is, what are the doubts that we have about God? Because we all have them. Um, number two is, what are the ways that we approach God that could actually be contributing to the doubts that we have? What are the ways that we could potentially be feeding our doubts? And the second one is the one we're going to spend the most time on because the first one is something you kind of got to do on your own and it's not really something I can do for you. Um, but the second one um, is, is only going to make a difference to you if, you if we approach it the best way. Like it, and this goes for me too. Like This is only going to make a difference for me if I approach it the right way. If I approach it with the mindset that my doubts are God's fault or you know, if he would just make himself a little bit more clear to me, then I wouldn't have doubts. So really, it's his problem to fix, not mine. If we approach it that way, we're probably always going to be frustrated with doubts. We're never going to be able to move forward through them. So, so we really have to take a step back and say, okay, this is just about me today. I'm going to look inside myself, and I am going to figure out why am I constantly frustrated, and what could I possibly be doing that is feeding those doubt, doubts. Growth in anything requires humility. It requires humility in all things. I mean, think about the job that you have, um, the career that you have. If you are constantly in your job blaming your problems with your job on somebody else, well, then why would you ever change anything, right? Because nothing's your fault. But if you take the time and you look inside of yourself and you say, okay, what can I do different here? What can I do better? What am I not doing that I can start doing? Well, then you start to grow and develop and get better at your job and in your career. And, the, and, and, and in our faith, it's the same thing. We need that humility to start there so that we can can figure out exactly why we're in the place that we're in with our faith, and then we can start doing business and start moving forward. Again, our truth for this morning is doubt is only the enemy if we choose to feed it. So with that in mind, the fact that doubt is not the problem, we're going to look at how we could potentially be feeding those doubts ourselves. And I wrote down four on your worship flyer, and, and that list is not exhaustive by any means. I mean, there may be more ways that we could potentially be feeding our doubts, but my hope is, is that one of these connects with you. Um, and, and, and all of them probably won't connect with you, but hopefully one of them uh, strikes a chord. So let's go ahead and jump in to number one on your outline. The first one that we're going to talk about is we act like doubts don't exist. And, and I'm just going to start by saying that this is completely understandable because this is a culture thing. Our culture today, we just all act like everything's good. And, and in the church especially, um, we're guilty of just acting like everything's good. Now, I believe Finding Life Church is way different than that. Um, we are really good. I mean, authenticity is one of our core values, right? So it's something that we talk about a lot. It's something that we, um, we just embrace. And it's something that I've felt from day one when I became a part of Finding Life Church. We are really good at being real about life and the fact that life isn't easy and about the struggles that we deal with and the fact that we're not perfect in walking through life. Now, I would say, though, that there is a difference between being real about our lives and being real about our faith. You see, most of us walk around not talking about our doubts. Like I said in the beginning, I feel like I shouldn't doubt 
Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I believe, right? If I'm a believer, then I shouldn't have any doubts. And so over time, we just push our doubts down. And, and you know, one of the things that as I was preparing for this, I was, I was trying to think through doubts that I have, and, and that way I could share something with you. And, and I, I, I do this um, a lot. One of the doubts that I struggle with is, is entrusting God's provision. I'm sure there's other people that, that struggle with this too. Um, but because I'm a human being and also because I spent so much time in sales, like I just feel like I should be able to provide for myself. Like it's my job and I can handle it. And, and so I've gone through a transition from where I used to be in an environment where I had a pretty comfortable salary to an environment where it's a little bit tighter. Obviously, I'm a pastor. I'm not in it to make a bunch of money. Um, but I've also gone from an environment where I trusted in myself to an environment now where I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting not what I can see, but what I can't see. And that's always been a process for me, and it, and it is to this day. And I can, I, there's a, a quick story I want to tell you. So it was just probably a month ago, I was having a conversation on the phone with my mom, and I was saying, you know, gosh, it's just, it's really amazing because these things keep coming up, and I, I start worrying about whether I'm going to be able to afford it, some of these things. And, 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 and then for some reason, like out of the blue, like God just takes care of him. He always seems to show up. Like I don't always get like everything I want, and it's not always super comfortable, but he always takes care of things in ways that I never expected. And I was just, I'm selling her on this on the phone. Like, I believe it. I was fired up about it. I was like, God is awesome. And then I get a medical bill. And I'm like, gosh, how am I going to pay for this? I'm going to have to get another job. Like, what, what, how, I can't afford this. Like, I'm drowning. And, and it's just, it's amazing how quick I forget um, just how awesome God is and how he provides for us. And I have to constantly remind myself of ways that he's shown up before, and I also have to remind myself of the truth. This is my favorite verse for any of you that struggle with this like I do. Um, this is Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? And then I remember, yes, I am. I'm more valuable than a bird, of course. And, and so I get past it, but, but I don't get past it unless I acknowledge that it's there. I can't get past it if I pretend it doesn't exist. And, like, I get it. Authenticity is tough. Like, we worry about being judged by other people. Um, but at the same time, like, the risk is definitely worth the reward. And, and I want to, there's a, obviously a person in the Bible, I think, exemplifies this the best. And I don't think we can talk about doubt without talking about doubting Thomas. Um, and, and to be honest, I think old Thomas has gotten kind of a bad rap. Um, by the way, I was... Couldn't remember what verses Doubting Thomas was, so I Googled it, and I found out that Doubting Thomas is actually a term in the dictionary. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary has the term Doubting Thomas, and it is defined as a person who rarely trusts or believes without having proof. So he's not just a person, he's now a term in, in the dictionary. So in case you don't know the story, let's read it. It's John 20, uh, 24 through 29, if you want to find that in your phone or in your Bible, feel free, but I'll read it for you. Um, one of the 12 disciples... Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So this is, um, this is after Jesus is crucified, he is buried, and he is missing from his tomb. And he has appeared to some of the disciples, but not Thomas. Um, they told him, the disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, and I put my fingers in them, and I place my hand into the wound in his side. Well, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. 
Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And I think the first thing that we have to recognize here is let's not pretend that there's other people around that didn't doubt just like Thomas did, right? I mean, if we were, if we were there, we would, we would doubt. I know that personally I would have told those guys they were crazy. Like, really, you saw a dead person? Come on. Um, but, let's, but let's also notice something that happened. Because Thomas was authentic, he was real, he was open about his doubts. He didn't pretend they didn't exist. He got one of the clearest examples one of the clearest proofs um, that anybody has ever received. And think about what that did for the people that were there, the amazing gift that that was, that he got to witness, that those people got to witness Thomas actually touching the wounds of Jesus. And that only happened because Thomas, Thomas was willing to lean in. And I wonder, this is how this translates to us, I wonder how many of us have something right now in our hearts that we're struggling with. And God wants to do something. He wants to speak into it. He wants to resolve it. He wants to show himself faithful, powerful in our lives. But we're unwilling to embrace it. We're unwilling to bring it to the surface. We're unwilling to say anything about it to anybody. And I fear that that will keep us from experiencing what Thomas did in those verses. Okay, so that's number one. Uh, the number one way, it's not really, this is not like a top ten list, okay? This is just kind of random. Um, <laughs> The second way that we may be feeding our doubts, and actually, to be honest, I think this was probably the biggest one. Um, we expect things from God that he never promised. Um, expect. Okay, that's, a, that's something. Expectations is something I've been learning a lot about lately, and Jasmine, I think, didn't understand what she was getting herself into, that she was now going to be like talked about on stage a whole bunch whenever I preach. But um, because I went from a single man to not a single man, um, I've learned a lot about the power of expectations. Um, I think that at one point, and this may be the case for all of our, and I'm going to call them discussions, not disagreements, not arguments, but discussions. Um, but you can trace almost all of them back to unmet expectations. And most of the time, they're unspoken unmet expectations. One of us has expectations of the other one, and we didn't even tell them we had those expectations, and when they don't follow through, we're mad. And I think we'd all agree that it's pretty unfair to get mad at somebody or be upset with somebody because you expected something of them. You never told them, and when they didn't do it, you're disappointed. Um, and you know what? We do this with God, too. It's a little bit different, but it's still the same. Um, the, the way it's different is that God has told us what to expect from him, right? I mean, pretty clearly we, know, we, should, we should know. I hate that word, should. But we have the opportunity to know what God actually, um, what we can actually expect from God. Um, and I think we do this so well that we have actually gotten to the point where we believe things. We believe God has promised us things that he actually has not promised us. And I want to spend some time talking about a few of these things that, that I, I just have a hunch and just feel and sense that these are things that are fairly common, uh, that we, we can fall into believing that God promised these things when he actually didn't. Uh, one of them is we expect God to make our lives happy and easy, and we're frustrated when our lives are not that way. Guilty. I absolutely do that. Uh, but here's what he actually promised. This is John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace 
in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Many trials and sorrows. God has promised us that he'll be with us through the trials and sorrows, but he never said anything about taking them away. Um, We are going to have hard times. And what I love about that verse is what what Jesus is saying there is he's, he's saying, you can have peace in me. Like, not peace because everything's going to go easy for you, but peace in me because I have overcome the world. Another one is we expect God to make our lives prosperous. And I, man, I tell you what, when I first became a believer, I used to just hope and pray that God would just make everything go well for me financially and that I'd be wealthy and, and things would just be super comfortable for me. Um, so I've fallen into this. But here's what he's actually promised, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. God's promised us that he's going to take care of our needs, not necessarily our wants, our earthly desires, not, not to make us wealthy or prosperous. But he has promised that he will take care of our needs. Another one is we expect God to give us answers to all of our prayers. And this one, like, I really went back and forth about whether to bring this up because this is a tough one. It's, a, it's one of the toughest ones. Um, because we've all been in a place where hard things are going on in our lives and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we don't get the answer we want. I've been there. And, and so don't, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm trying to make light of this or that that it's not something serious and that it's not super challenging because it is. And I've lived in that um, myself. But I think it's too important for us not to talk about and think about and reflect on because it, it might be one of the biggest ways that we struggle. One of the biggest ways that leads to doubt and us sitting in doubt with God is because we pray for something and we don't get it and we don't know why and we don't know how to move forward from that. Um, one of the reasons that I think we struggle with this is because we read verses like Mark 11, 24 through 25 that says, I tell you, pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. And if you've searched the internet at all, which I recommend not doing in relation to prayer, (laughs) because you can get lost and read all kinds of interesting things. Um, Actually, I learned one thing. The internet is just chock full of people that are trying to teach others how to pray effectively or pray and get results. Um, teaching people that God is some kind of a cosmic vending machine that exists to just, just fulfill our needs and desires and wants. And then if we do it the right way, some kind of magical way, it'll work for us. And I think we know that's not true. We've all experienced that God doesn't just answer all of our prayers with a yes. And, and to be honest, I wish I could stand up here today and tell you that I know why, that I have the answer to that question, but I don't. The only answer I've been able to come up with myself is that he is God and I am not. Romans 11, 33, or 34 through 35. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? He is God and his decisions are being made with all of the available facts. And when I say all of the available facts, like he knows every detail of time from the beginning to the end. He knows everything. And I know just but a little bit, just a sliver of time. And I'm not saying that should make us feel better or that makes it all easier or anything like that. I'm not saying that disappointment or doubt or frustration shouldn't be our response uh, to things like, like unanswered prayers because 
that may be just what God wants to use to bring you through the doubt. This is something I've also grown through a lot in my, in my faith, and I, I've mentioned it already. I, you know, in the beginning, I prayed for all kinds of stuff that were just about making my life better, and, and God didn't give me what I wanted. Or he didn't give me what I thought was best for me at the time. I know different now. I feel different now. I believe different now. Um, the more I dove into God's word and, and just sought to discover, like, who is God and what does he want for my life and, and what does he want to do with me, my prayers just over time started to change. And, and not that I'm anything like Jesus, but um, he is the person I'm following. But at the same time, I'm not anywhere close to him. And I just want to make that clear before I start comparing myself in this context. They... My prayers, though, started to resemble the way Jesus prayed in the garden, um, if you remember that story. So Jesus is, is about to be arrested, betrayed, arrested, crucified. He's about to die, to go through some of the worst suffering that a human being's ever gone through. And he, he goes to the garden to pray, and it says that he was crushed with grief. And, and he, pray, he prays this prayer, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. He wants it. He doesn't want it, Right? And why would he? I mean, come on. But he says, yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. God's will be done, not our own. And, and my prayers have become more like this. Like, I'll still ask for things. I'll still pray for things. But I almost always follow it up with, but God, whatever, have your way. Like the song said, have your way. Whatever that way means for me, you know more than I do. Your best is better than my best. I come around and I start to remember, and this is what I want us to remember, is that the only thing that God has really promised us is the one thing that we need more than anything else, and it's the only thing that can satisfy our hearts, and it's him. That's it. And I think knowing what God promises, even if we don't like it, because let's be honest, just like Anne Marie said up here with the kids, we're going to read something, and we're going to believe it, and we're not going to like it. It happens. But knowing what God promises, even if we don't like it, it's going to create more peace in us than constantly expecting things from God that he never promised us. We're just setting ourselves up to doubt him, to, to struggle. So the question for us today really is, are we going to take the time to understand what God has said, what he has said we can expect from him? Because I believe if we do that, we're going to save ourselves a lot of struggle. And, and God will, will, will meet us in ways that we haven't experienced before. Okay, that's number two. Number three is we treat faith as purely intellectual. Um, when we approach faith as purely intellectual, that just means that we're seeking answers to all of our questions, right? We want things that are provable, that are um, observable, that, that we can can wrap our arms around, and we can believe intellectually. And, and generally, when we have this kind of approach, like if we have any unanswered questions, we're, we're not sure, and we can't get off the fence. We, we sit in doubt, and we never get past it because we can't get every single question answered. And, I, and, and let me be clear. I'm not saying that intellectual questions are bad. Like if you have intellectual questions about the Bible, about God's word, about um, just God in general, like that is not a bad thing. We all have questions. And if these are the kinds of questions that you have, they're good to bring to the surface to pursue answers to them. Because again, doubt is only an enemy if we choose to continue to feed it. I had some intellectual questions and, and that was a part of my process as well. Um, I read the Bible and I continue to and I continue to try to get to know it better. And, 
the more I get to know it, the more questions come up, right? That's usually what happens. Actually, that happens more often than anything else. And the question is, what do we do from there? At some point, I was exposed to the world of, of Christian apologetics, and I, I just started to really get drawn that direction and like it because somebody came and spoke at Finding Life one time that, uh, that that was basically their degree or their pursuit. And I started to read all kinds of different things, and there's so much stuff out there that you can read uh, about the historical evidence for Jesus. And, and so I started to read this stuff about his life and death and resurrection, and, and it, it's historical in nature, so it's, it's things that we can grab a hold of that are more intellectual. And, and I got to the point where I'm like, you know what? Like, there's enough, this is enough. Like, I, I, there's enough evidence here that it's pretty reasonable for me to believe that Jesus was a real person and that he was who he says he was and what happened to him is what happened to him. And because I was comfortable with that, I was comfortable saying, Bible's true. And, and that may, helped me get past a lot of doubts that I had early on in my faith. It's almost like a jury trial. I'm sure that some of you out there have sat on a jury, right? Probably the best experience of your life. Um, <laughs> we love to sit on jury trials. But, but it's kind of like that, right? I mean, we're, we're making decisions about somebody's guilt or innocence based on the ev available evidence. And we don't have all of it because you weren't there. Like, you don't really know if they did it or not. But you can look at the evidence, and at some point you have to make a decision. Did this person do it or not? Beyond a reasonable doubt. And the same level of evidence exists intellectually for us to make a decision about our faith. At some point, we have to make a decision, and we can make a decision. There is enough information out there. There is a threshold that we can get to where it's reasonable for us to say, I believe, and I'm going to jump in with both feet. And I want us to consider Peter's threshold. Okay, remember when Jesus is walking on water, and, and Peter and the disciples are in the boat, and their immediate response when they see Jesus walking on water is they're terrified, right? And they think it's a ghost, and they don't know what's going on. Um, but Jesus tells them, don't be afraid, and here's Peter's response. He says, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, and he walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And, I, and actually, the thing I want to draw your attention to the most here is he said, if it's really you. I mean, I always looked at this story and thought, well, Peter's just got awesome faith. Like, he just went for it. He was super confident. And I mean, if you get out of the boat and you jump in the water, you're confident, right? But that statement right there, if it's really you, that's not a statement of certainty. That doesn't mean that he was sure. He didn't have all the facts. He didn't know everything. I'm sure he had questions, but he knew enough. Like he was at the point where he's like, I know enough, and I'm going to get out of the boat. He chose to believe, and we can do the same. We can choose to get out of the boat, and there's risk involved in that. Like you're, There's times when you're still going to doubt and question, but if you get out of the boat and you choose to believe, it promises the power of God's presence in your life. And that's just not something we're ever going to experience if we just stay in the boat. So that's number three. Number four, um, the last way that we set ourselves up to sit in doubt or to not get past it or feed it even. Um, number four is we think that faith should just happen. And when it doesn't, we doubt. We come to a church gathering or we go to a small group and we hear stories of like spiritual transformation and life change and, and we wonder like, why am I not experiencing that? We ask ourselves, ourselves questions like, if I believe in Jesus, why is it so hard for me to follow him? 
If God is so great and if he's real, then why do I struggle to find his presence? And if that's you, I just want you to know that, that, that I stand with you and I'm here for you and I might not be able to answer your specific question in this kind of a venue or, or way, um, but I definitely am not belittling those questions or, or not connecting with them in any way, shape, or form. So if that's you and that's where you're at right now, I am here for you. I think that in general, the answer to that question, to those questions, is that faith is really hard. Like, it's harder than we give it credit for. For some reason, we have this idea, and I do too, that it should be easier than it is. Courtney said it last week, that was her truth. The faith struggle is real. It is a real thing for everyone. There isn't anybody that, that, that gets it easier than others. We live in a world, and I think this is a big part of it, we live in a world and a culture today that wants what it wants and it wants it right now, right? I mean, I look back at, and don't laugh at me when I say this, but I look back at when I was 19 and I got my first cell phone, and I have a lot less hair now than I had then. Um, I couldn't picture where we are today, right? I mean, my cell phone's not just a cell phone, and no, I did not have the Zach Morris phone, okay? The big, bulky, or the bag phone in the car, right? Um, no, I had like, I, got a, I waited until there was a flip phone. I was like, okay, that's cool. I can carry that around. Okay, but now I couldn't envision this. Now our phones are computers, for crying out loud. We have access to things that, that at just a moment's notice that we never had access to before. And, and we carry that entitled instant gratification mindset into our faith. And I'm not saying we do it on purpose. We just do it because it's, it's, we've been conditioned. And I think we gotta be real. We've all sat down with our Bibles or sat down to pray with, with the expectation that it was going to be easier, that it was going to be easier than it actually is, and then we got frustrated and we're like, ah, and we walk away for a period of time, however long that is. But we've also got to be real and think about this for a second and, and be honest about it. I mean, we're reading a, a, a book that was written by ancient people from halfway around the world in a different language. I don't know why we would think that's easy. And the more that I study God's word and read it, the more I, am, I, I understand more, but I'm also understanding that how much more I don't understand. It's amazing to me. There's people that dedicate their lives to this and, and still don't have 100% grasp on it. So why would we expect if we spend 15 minutes that it's going to be somehow easy for us? We have never been promised that we wouldn't have to work for it, that it wouldn't take tremendous effort and pursuit on our parts. You know, from time to time, I get hit in the head with stuff like this, whether it's through life group or what, but I'll read verses like Mark 12, 30, where Jesus said, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Or I'll read Deuteronomy 6. It says, and you must, and I read this a lot because it was in the, it's in the DTL book. <laughs> so I had to read it a lot. Um, and it says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you go to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So pretty much eat, sleep, and breathe it. What these verses are, are trying to make clear to us and, and what God's saying to us is that this relationship thing with him is it's just, it's going to require a lot of effort. And, and it actually, the effort it describes is an all-out, all-in kind of effort. It's, it's heart, soul, mind, strength. It's everything you've got. And, and 
Anytime I read these verses, I'm like, man, I feel like I give a decent amount of effort to my faith. But I don't feel like I'm even in the same zip code as what these verses are describing. Like, I'm not even anywhere close. I'm not sniffing it. And so then the question is, like, if it's way over here and I'm way over here, like, what do I do? Is it even, can I even get anywhere close to what these verses are describing? And, and the answer to that question is, yes, we can bridge the gap. Yes, we can make some steps. And it's as simple as, as James 4, 8, which is a verse that just keeps coming up to me a lot, which, which says, come close to God and God will come close to you. We can't make huge leaps, but we can take one step at a time. And God promises to meet us there. And the, and the question is, how do we draw near to God? It's, it's just two things, really. I mean, it's, it's praying, worshipful prayer, and, and intentionally d- digging into God's word. And in the absence of those two things, it's really hard to get past any doubts that you have. And it's really hard to feel God's presence in your life outside of those two things. Because we believe what we feed ourselves. And if we're not feeding ourselves God's word, and if we're not feeding ourselves in the communication that we have with him, guess what we are feeding ourselves? We're just naturally feeding ourselves what, what we're experiencing on a daily basis, which is what the world is feeding us, right? I mean, you have 24-hour news, you have talk radio, you have social media, like you're inundated with information all day long, and it is teaching you what to believe. It is feeding the doubts that you already have. I've experienced this all the time. It only takes a, a day. Like if I get knocked off my, just, I have just these rhythms that I have learned that I have to stay in. I have to stay in my lane. And if I get outside of my lane, it doesn't get good for me. But if I stop pursuing God's word and if I stop pursuing worshipful prayer with him, like I mean for a day, all of a sudden I'm doubting God. I'm doubting his sovereignty. I'm doubting that he's in control, that he cares about me, that he loves me, that, um, that he's present like, I start to doubt all those things really quick, and I get super self-centered, right? And after a little bit, I'll notice this, or somebody will point it out to me. Not Jasmine. I don't know that she's ever said, you're being selfish. She should have a few times, trust me. I've deserved it. Um, but I'll figure it out, I'll get back on track, and sooner, uh, and sooner than later, my doubts fade. My doubts fade because I'm not feeding them anymore, because I'm actually blocking them. You know, that's one of the verses that Courtney read last week was put on the whole armor of God, right? I, not only am I not feeding my doubts, but I'm blocking them with God's truth. So the truth is, the truth is, we have the effort, we have the time. And I know some of you are sitting here right now going, I don't have any time. Um, especially if you're a new parent. I was thinking about this the other day. Gosh, how many new parents we have at Finding Life that have kids that don't let them sleep, and so your available time is like this, and when you are awake, you're sleepwalking. And I get it. I've been there. Um, But, you know, we have, we put time into certain things on top of all that other stuff and responsibilities that we have. Um, And and maybe it's we take a little social media time and we we spend it in God's word. Um, That's me. Um, I recently moved my social media apps in a different place on my phone so that I wouldn't be as quick to just click on them all the time. Um, maybe instead of watching ESPN when I get out of bed, I could be praying, right? Maybe that, maybe that basketball score isn't that important. Um, if we, the, the point is, is if we want faith, 
If we want to get past doubts, we have to go after it. It's not going to just happen out of thin air, but you don't also have to go from one extreme to the other, right? Steps, one step at a time. We have a tendency, I think, to blame God or to doubt God for things that are actually our responsibility. Now, he can handle it. After all, he is God. But what I want to challenge us to today is is let's make a decision. Let's make a decision to, to look inside of ourselves, to stop pointing fingers outside at things and, and just ways that we point our fingers outside of ourselves that just are things that we can't do anything about. Let's look inside of ourselves at the challenges we're having, at where we're at in our faith, and, and like just do business with what doubts we have and what we can do to, to change them. We have to start, I think, by recognizing that our faith is nobody else's responsibility but our own. Not, any, not anybody else's. Nobody, nobody can do it for us. And I think with that in mind, let's go back to the beginning. And, and as we, we do this, I want to invite the band to come on back up. Um, let's go back to the beginning. And in those two questions that I threw out, what doubts do we have about God? And what could we be doing or not doing that could be feeding those doubts? And I went through four. Maybe you connected with one of them. Maybe you didn't. Maybe there's some other things that, that will pop into your head. And that's awesome. But let's take time today. Let's actually take some time today this week, it could be a process that doesn't just end today. But let's take some time and reflect on those two questions. And, and don't stop there. Like, I think the biggest thing that we, we sometimes do is we think about things in our head and they don't become real until we open our mouths and say them to somebody else. And, and so do that. Talk to somebody about these things. Tell them, here's the doubts that I have and here's what I think I'm doing and here's what I want to try to change. And gosh, ask them to help you, you know? Maybe that could be in life group. Maybe that could be just asking somebody out for coffee or lunch or even one of, maybe your family wants to invite another family over for dinner and have that conversation. Like um, any of those ways could be good as a way to just say these things out loud and, and start a conversation about them to start moving through them. Because again, genuine faith can be found through the mess of our doubts. Doubts don't have to be a bad thing. They can be the best thing for your faith. And we will do that better together better together as a community. Let's pray as we wrap up. God, thank you so much <clears throat> for this time that we had together today. Um, God, help us as we, as we walk out of this place. I just know through experience there are just times when I show up to things like this and I hear a sermon and, and I get busy and I move on with my day and before I know it, it's, it's the week's gone and I didn't really spend a lot of time thinking through what you had for me. And so I just pray for all of us here today, God, that you would help us to not walk from this place and, and forget, um, forget about this. Because we all, all of us, we share, this is common amongst all of us, that we, we share this, this challenge of, of doubting. And uh, God, I just pray that you would help us to bring those doubts to the surface, talk about them with people. And, and God, that you would meet us as we pursue you through them, that you would meet us and help us uh, to get past them. Thank you so much, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.